I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 272 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we have a very cool discussion with my patrons about the band. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is an, an episode about a band that got a whole heck of a lot of us into music. So, yeah, so it's uh, really cool to finally be able to talk to people about the band. You know, I've mentioned them in the past. Uh, I've thrown the name out there to possibly do a KISS discussion. Never, never happened. This time around, we, we got it to go. I'm trying to find my Gene Simmons quote here. Right. Yeah, so there you go. So we have a few of the patrons aboard to talk about the usual. It's how they first heard Kiss, favorite album, favorite three tracks off of that album to sell to someone if they've seen Kiss live, their best memory of seeing them live. And uh, yeah, and that's pretty much it. And not everyone is a fan of Kiss during this conversation. So that's kind of cool too to see, you know, because I know that there's a lot of non-believers out there and that's fine to each their own. Everyone is entitled to their opinion, whether you agree with it or not. So I, I welcome all opinions. There you go. Um, so yeah, so uh, I guess you guys have noticed my voice is kind of weird. Don't know what's going on. It doesn't hurt as if I have a cold or anything. I mean, uh, weather's been fluctuating very hot to kind of cold. And I'm already in wearing shorts season. So it went from like 30 degrees Celsius to about uh, 14 degrees Celsius here from one day to the other. And I was like, yeah, I feel kind of cold. but. I'll tough it out. I'm from the Northeast, man. It gets colder there. It gets hotter there. <laughs> and then uh, I woke up today and I'm like, whoa, I have like, I have radio voice going on. You know, I feel like I'm Aaron Camaro. <laughs> That's my best uh, imitation of Aaron Camaro's laugh. Although I can do a pretty mean, yeah. So, or so I've been told. Love Aaron, love Despo Geek. But uh, a lot of cool stuff going on in music. Uh, you're going to hear Jeremy's patrons pick in a second. And he talks about a lot of different albums that I haven't been able to check out yet. But I sure do hope uh, that I will. Got to listen to the new Def Leppard Diamond Star Halos today. What the hell happened to this band, man? Seriously, I wrote up about it for the new releases, and I get it. They're, they're still trying to chase the Hysteria fan base. It's never coming back. Please, somebody tell Phil Collin to kind of stay in his lane and just, and just play. Just play. 
And and it's sad that they don't have Vivian Campbell write anything. He hasn't written a single note on on this new album. And that's a tragedy. You have someone that talented, arguably the most talented player in the band. But it shows he's just an employee, so he's just doing what he's told. And uh, that's sad. You know, that... And I realize that most of the diehards want them to do something in the vein of High and Dry and, and Pyromania and Hysteria and On Through the Night. And there have been... There's been a lot of good stuff that they've released over the years, even not including those albums. It's just when they're chasing the radio hits, it's like they're never coming back to, you know, two steps behind was 30 years ago. Please listen to the diehards for once. Here's Jeremy Rotman with Patrons Pick. Hello everyone, it's that patrons pick time again. There's been a lot of great stuff released over the past week. Uh, surprisingly so, didn't think there would be so much that I would like. But there was, as there always seems to be every single week. There were some good heavy sounds on Fuel for My Soul by Last Temptation. That one on Crusader Records. Uh, I recommend checking out the Heavy Groove from Giza on uh, Stone Blues Machine on Heavy Sight Records. There was a very interesting kind of doomy folk record called Ancient Tombs Volume 1 Mother of Light by Serpentent on Zvart Records. That, that one actually features the songwriting and vocal skills of somebody called Anne K. O'Neill. I reached out to Anne just to let her know that I really liked the music. Um, it wasn't very, very metal, but it, but it had that sort of feel to it. Um, and she wrote back, uh, which was nice, and, and she said she was going to listen out uh, to, to, this, uh, to this review and recommendation. There was some nice modern melodic metal from the Italian band Volturian. Uh, their album is Red Dragon. That's on Scarlet Records. Also on Scarlet Records, there was some, uh, some good metal music from Thy Kingdom Will Burn with uh, the album The Void and The Vengeance. Uh, the music was good. I thought the uh, album was spoilt a little bit with the vocal, which was very growly, uh, which I didn't like too much. But uh, music-wise, it, it was great. Uh, and I really liked the uh, Lullabies for the Masses album by the Shotgun Messiah singer Zinni Zan. So that just brings me to uh, this week's patrons pick. And it wasn't a difficult decision overall. The, the, the one I picked is the third album from Corleone. Uh, some very much uh, in the classic hard rock style. Uh, the band has been formed since 2018 uh, by Leo Leone of Gotthard. Uh, this one um, has Eugent Bushpepper on vocals, uh, whereas the previous album, Corleone 2, uh, which was a sort of a Gotthard hits album, as was the first album, uh, that one had Ronnie Romero on vocals. This one, therefore, has the new vocalist. It has new songs. And uh, the real really shines out with some super quality songwriting and production as well. Uh, so it gives it that, that real classic hard rock feel, but uh, with, with a sort of modern kick up the backside. Really enjoy that stuff. Uh, I'll probably get hold of that album. And so this week's patron's pick 
is Corleone 3. There you go, Jeremy with his patron's pick. Not too much of a surprise this week, but I want to thank Jeremy uh, for doing that segment as always. I want to thank all of my patrons for supporting me. And if you want to be part of the Patreon group, you want to become a patron and be in the next patron discussion, you could do so for as little as $2 a month. Just want to send a quick shout out to all of the patrons that, uh, you know, help make these things um, happen. So, uh, yeah, who make these episodes very enjoyable. I love doing these episodes uh, with the patrons. There's no lie whatsoever in that. So um, let's just hit up all of the patrons here. We're going to go in alphabetical order. Anthony Mackey, my brother Art. Brad out there in Utah from Yarg Metal, YargMetal.com. Chris from the Chris and Amanda Show. Ed the Shred Ferguson. of the metal dentist, Gabriel Ruiz. We have Mr. Patron's pick, Jeremy Weltman. We just heard him. We have the metal politician slash chef, Johan in Sweden. We have Jose in Connecticut. We have Metal Dan. And we have our Mike Jones. Twisted Steve Hoker. And not but or last but not least, getting tongue tied, Mr. Steven Saylor in PA. Hope you guys are all doing well. And I thank you for your continued support. Uh, some of the other things that take place on Patreon, you know, uh, I like to talk about all of the videos that I post there. And definitely, there's three videos that I'm trying to post every day at least. But so just to give you guys an idea of what I've posted this week, bunch of questions, an album of the week, which was Korn's Requiem and videos, for example, there have been videos from Edinburgh, Evergreen, Gravedigger, Any Given Day, Seder, Zinni Zan, the former Shaka Messiah uh, singer, Municipal Waste, Orden Ogan. Uh, Tobias Summits, Aventasia, Kane Hill, Yorn, Lost Society, Arch Enemy, Necrogoblicon, <laughs> uh, Space of Variations, Psychroptic, Audrey Horn, Guar, James Labrie, Lisa Kay, and Luke Fortney and or Fortini and Mike. Mander Manderoli, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Uh, left to suffer, soil work, and so on and so forth. So you see that there's a big variety and a lot of different things that I am posting on there. Questions, for example, I had questions about, you know, I do a weekly post on what everyone's into. I try to post about the show, no cover. I have to catch up on some of those. And also... Uh, I ask about, you know, if people have been checking out any new releases and uh, this week started posting questions about, um, you know, what 
various members of bands people think are overrated. Overrated singers, guitarists, bass players, drummers. Um, do you enjoy keys in hard rock and metal? Uh, what band do you feel is overrated? So stuff like that. It's just uh, it, it's a cool discussion. I know Anthony Mackey asked jokingly, you know, if I'm trying to start a fight. I am not, <laughs> but it is. Uh, um, I don't know. It's just fun to talk to everyone about all these various topics. You know, um, I have fun interacting with these patrons, with my patrons. Thankfully, it's a great group of guys. It's a small group, but great and fun discussions with them all the time. Uh, if you do want to join us, the more the merrier. There's no trolls in the group whatsoever. And uh, like I said, for as little as two bucks a month. And then from there, depending on what exactly you would like, if you just want to support, I mean, there are some people that never interact. There are others that are interacting and following me almost everywhere. And then uh, there are those that just want a piece of merch. So if that's the case, you can pick a different tier, different t-shirts per tier, and just talk to me. Let me know what you're looking for. I can work with you. You know, no problem at all. So, yeah. So I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. Again, you'll see that it's a lot of fun talking to everyone. Um, and yeah, thank you for following the show 13 years later. It's a trip that people still follow. I know that there's a million other options. A lot of things you could be doing, but you choose to tune in and listen to this show. And I appreciate it. No bullshit whatsoever. You know, I wish it was like the good old days. Get off my lawn, kid. You know, <laughs> you know, I wish there were more people checking this out, but it is what it is. You know, and I just got to uh, go with what I can get. And if you could help spread the word, then please do so. Leave a review on. Uh, iTunes or Podchaser because that helps me secure other guests. It also makes me feel like what I'm doing is is worth it. You know, I know people say, "Oh, well, doesn't matter." Yeah, it matters to me. So please go ahead and do it. It means the world to me. So yeah. Welcome, everyone, to the May 20th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. And today we have a very special KISS discussion with my patrons. We have patrons from all around the world joining us. We have, uh, what is this, four different time zones. We have Johan in Sweden. Johan, how are you? Thank you very much. I'm doing good. Excellent. Brad, uh, out in the mountain time zone in Utah. How are you, uh, Dr. Poison? Uh, very good. Thanks for having me. And I like to call this the Yarg Daylight Time. So Y-A-D-T. Th there you go. All right. Um, we have Anthony in Ireland. How are you, sir? Good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Jeremy, also in the same time zone as uh, Anthony in uh, UK. Yeah, that's right. Ready to rock. Ready to talk kiss. 
Awesome. And uh, back in my home state of New Jersey is Mr. Steve Hoker. How are you, Steve? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. So awesome to have all you guys here tonight. It is always fun to have my patrons along to um, discuss any topic, really. But uh, when you get a chance to talk about one of your favorite, if not your favorite band of all time, it is always a pleasure to have you guys on board. So, um, as we always do when we talk about bands, the first round of uh, things that we're going to discuss is stumbling across the band Kiss. So, uh, obviously, with people being spread out all over the world, the way that we got turned on to the band or uh, saw them or heard them for the first time is is going to be different. So, Johan, what was that experience like for you? Do you remember hearing about or seeing Kiss for the first time? Uh, yes. Uh, first time I heard, heard Kiss. I, I, I've seen the pictures of them, obviously, before, but the first time I actually heard them that I can remember is, I think, 1982 at a friend's house at his sister's uh, room, and we played a cassette for uh, Creatures of the Night. Okay. Uh, that was the first time. Uh, and the song, the title track was, uh, uh, I think it's uh, one of the most important songs in my life because it's, it's a gateway for me into uh, music I still listen to. Still listen to. So... Uh, uh, that was the first time, yeah, 1982, Creatures of the Night. But uh, that was just a, a day like any other. Uh, lick it up when it came out in 1983, yes? Yeah. Uh, was, uh, I was in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that was uh, the, the real opener for me. <laughs> Uh, for kiss so yeah that's they uh, they they uh, turned me on to heavier things uh, as soon as i heard uh, that uh, song i was looking for more heavy stuff and then i went to motley crew but that's another story but uh, <laughs> uh mm? that that yeah. was that was a few episodes ago motley crew <laughs> yeah i know i didn't participate in that oh uh, yeah Sorry, but uh, well, yeah, uh, the cassette version of Creatures of the Night was the first time I heard Kiss. Excellent. Hey, imp important question, Johan. Yeah. Uh, this is in his sister's room. Was she there with you? No, she was older. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that, that was going to be my next question. Yeah? Was she kind of cute? I, I, th I think I, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah I, I kind of, I kind of feel like for me, kiss and girls kind of go hand in hand, but uh, yeah. 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 Hmm? Brad. So for, for you, your first, um, your first experience with the band kiss. All right. Uh, 1974. Okay. Uh, just, a, just a couple of years before Johan, cause as we, we established in the fireside show, he's a little bit younger than me. Uh, uh, a young, younger, but, and better looking. Um, 
Yeah. So 1974. So I uh, believe it or not, I mean, if anybody who's seen me in person, uh, it's hard to believe that I ran cross country in high school, but yeah, I was a runner. And the cool thing, I, I what a cool bunch of guys too, but I got to be uh, buddies with some of these guys who were a lot older. Well, they were juniors at that time and they were big music fans. And of course I was a big music fan, but growing up in my household, it was, you know, black Sabbath and black Sabbath and more black Sabbath. And <laughs> Uh, these guys though were like, Hey, you know, you should check out some of this stuff we listen to. So they would bring me albums to take home and listen to. Mm-hmm. And one of the albums they gave me was the first kiss album. And I knew nothing about kiss. And I, of course, looked at the the picture on the cover and I'm like, what the hell is this crap? Uh, I, I, you know, I had no idea what I was getting into. I went home, dropped the needle on it and it's strut. Correct me if I'm wrong. Strutter kicks off the first album, right? Yes. Flitten, 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 flitten. And I, I, I was just, I was, I was just like, I'm in, I'm all in on this right from the, the drum intro. I'm, I'm in on this stuff. The guitars kick in guitar, bass and drums, uh, the singing, everything. I was, it, it, it had me. And then the, the song after that, and the song after that, I mean, that whole side one of that album is just, uh, I, it was unbelievable. And and uh, then later that year, when I got my first bass, which is sitting right over there, the old Degas, um, that's how I learned to play bass. That, by the way, that guy never got that album back. Um, <laughs> I kept it. And uh, when I play, learned to play bass, I dropped the needle on that first Kiss album and started playing along with it. And the, the problem I had was I'm like, well, wait a second. Um, they're playing like lower than my lowest note on this bass. What is going on here? I did not have any, you know, I, I was new to this whole guitar thing. And I finally, I finally figured out on my own that these guys have their guitars tuned down a half step, uh, which I've never heard an official reason for the reason kiss was doing that, but I'm guessing that's something to do with Jimi Hendrix. Cause I've heard, uh, was it, um, uh, Paul from uh, Saxon, Paul Quinn, he calls it Hendrix tuning whenever they tune down a half step. And I know that Ace was a big Hendrix guy. And so I'm guessing that I'm guessing Ace brought that into the band, but I don't, I don't know for sure. I'd like to know how that, why Kiss decided to play everything a half step down. I mean, obviously it wasn't to make the vocals easier because back then they could all hit everything. So what, you know, that was that wasn't the. I'm sure that had nothing to do with it. It was all about the the sound, and I bet Ace brought that in. I'm, yeah, please somebody, if you know the answer, let me know. I I'm been dying to know that. But uh, that anyway, that's how I learned to play bass with Gene Simmons. I learned to play bass standing up with my bass swung lo- hung low and jumping all around the place, and that's the way I still play now. Uh, I I didn't learn sitting down. I'm not one of these guys who plays their bass up here. I play it down. You know where you know the other stuff is down there i don't know uh yeah so that i I love yeah first first kiss album i was in (laughs) there you go uh anthony are you with us i see the square that says that he's there but can't hear you and can't see you um let's see let's hop on over to to jeremy and uh, if we get Anthony back on, we'll, we'll have him discuss his experience in a second. Oh, he's gone again. Um, Jeremy, what was your first experience of uh, seeing or hearing Kiss? 
Yeah. Um, well, I was a little bit later than Brad. Um, it was probably the late 70s uh, when somebody lent me the Kiss Alive 2 album. And that to me was uh, was incredible to, to hear um, the band, but also to see the band because obviously Kiss isn't just a band, it's a, it's a brand. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, it's it's theatre. It's uh, and just to see this this band in um, you know wearing makeup and wearing the high heels and wearing the costumes and seeing the fire that was coming out of Gene Simmons' mouth. Um, you know, I was quite. I, I would say I was quite intimidated by them when I first saw them. I thought this is strange. This is a kind of a strange thing. We we weren't used to this in the in the UK. And the other thing to bear in mind is that um, in the UK, they weren't a big thing. Um, you know, they right. were obviously a big thing in the States, but they weren't in the UK initially. And so they had to really um, impress on us something a little bit different. And it wasn't just the music, it was the look. Um, but I, when I first heard Kiss Alive 2, I remember listening to Detroit Rock City, the first track, and picking up a guitar uh, picking up a guitar, picking up a tennis racket in my bedroom and uh, and pretending that I was Kiss. And immediately I was hooked by that song. You know, I just wanted to be be in the band. And obviously I was, you know, I was quite young at the time. I was 12, 13 years old. Um, I, I couldn't say that I, I liked all of the songs on that album, but I did like uh, the catchy choruses. You know, there's a lot of catchy choruses on that sort of album, uh, and they, you know, they had a lot of the the early '70s feel to to the to the songs. Uh, a lot of influence from, I would say, the Beatles. Uh, a lot of influence from the, you know, sort of bands of, of around at that time. You know, early Rod Stewart, early early Stones. It was all that sort of same sort of stuff all coming in. The, the influences. Um, and it was really, you know, it was, a, it was, a, it was older, older friends at school who were into the band. Uh, and, of, and of course, the logo was amazing. You know, it was uh, something that all the friends had on, on the back of their um, denim jackets. They, we had bags at school where we would, uh, you know, we would draw on the, we had these, what's called a haversack, um, sort of like a, um, a bag where you could basically draw on it. Um, and we'd all draw the, the Kiss logo on the bag, and that was my my sort of early introduction into Kiss. And it was a band that you know I knew about, I liked, I didn't love, um, but they were certainly something you couldn't ignore. Yeah, that's that's why it was one of the things that I wanted to ask uh, both you and Anthony about, uh, because I know that I have heard from listeners over the years. And read articles and different things how Kiss didn't really have the same popularity that they had in the States. And they honestly didn't make big money in the UK until that 90s reunion tour where they were making a ton of money everywhere else in the world. But in the UK, they weren't taken seriously because a lot of people just panned them as a band that just had an image and that the songs there were easy songs to play and that the songs weren't good and, and stuff mm-hmm. along those lines. So um, obviously that's something that you've probably or probably heard from people um, along the way, much like we, we talked about um, D Snyder uh, 
uh, having a similar situation with Twisted Sister where he had to take his makeup off in order for, you know, the crowd to take him seriously. So these are the, is that factual? Have you witnessed that yourself with people saying, well, they're not really a good band because they're only about the image. Jeremy? Oh, is that me? Sorry. I thought you you were talking to Steve because you were talking Twisted Sister. Yeah. um, Oh, absolutely. Um, Most, I mean, you know, thinking back through the years, um, many people that I know who are into heavy metal and, and hard rock there are there are only half of them that would be into Kiss, and um, mm-hmm. and I wondered what it what it was about, and I think it was the image. I think either you bought into the image or you didn't, uh, and then a lot of people would say that it was a very Americanized music, as you say, so, uh, a lot of songs that were very repetitive. Um, it's only now it's only now looking back on you know, their, their body of work that I would say that I really, really enjoy what they, what they've done. But at the time, you know, going through it in the sort of the late seventies, there were, you know, there was a lot of bands going on in the UK, which were much more technically gifted, I would say, and weren't relying on the image. So um, it was a very hard sell in the UK because the UK, what, you know, British people were not into that sort of Americanized image at that time. Now they are, you know, mm-hmm. we, we've become almost like America here. You know, it's, it's very, uh, very similar, but in those days it was very different. And, um, so it was a very, you know, it's very hard sell and, and, um, they were a difficult band um, to pin down in some ways because, you know, they had all the influences from the 60s uh, that came in through the 70s. But um, it was uh, it was something different. And, um, you know, uh, some people got it and some people didn't. So so here's me playing devil's advocate with that. So there was a problem with the image, but there wasn't a problem with the suite or David Bowie or bands like that, that were, or or Roxy music, fucking Brian Eno with Roxy music. What was, was looking like the guy next door. I mean, that was, you know, totally image. And if we want to talk about being Americanized and, and repeating stuff, Hey, 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 that's what I say. I can't get no, 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 over and over and over. When the Stones and the Beatles did it, it was fine. But <laughs> yeah. these bloody yanks are coming over here with their shite. <laughs> yeah, but there was always that thing. There was always that thing at the time, you know, uh, a lot of those sort of American bands, you know, it was seen as a, a big brother over there. And, and yeah. you know, you, you're a much bigger country over there and we're, we're much smaller over here and we love our stuff here. And, you know, we would love to hate the stuff that came out from from over there. But, but at the end of the day, Kiss were far more over the top than some of these bands. You know, I mean, we, we did on a, on a much smaller scale. You know, the Sweet were a much uh, smaller band and they didn't go in for the, you know, the full hog that, that Kiss did. And I think that kind of got a little bit rejected, I guess. All right. I'll take your word for it. Uh, Anthony, uh, for you in Ireland, what was your first um, reaction to Kiss? Do you remember hearing them for the first time or seeing them for the first time? Well, uh, I just caught the gist of what Jeremy was saying there. Kiss had 
no presence in Ireland. <laughs> like they were, you know, we would see them in Kerrang. Right. We would see them in, like we had books on heavy metal and they see pictures of Kiss on stage. That was it. Mm-hmm. Like they, it's hard to really describe how, how little profile they had here. Right. And, um, so the first, so I was aware of Kiss just through your crangs and things. Mm-hmm. But the, I, the first time I actually heard them was Lick It Up. Okay. Uh, my brother, I think, bought the seven inch. And it was not, I'm going to be a little outlier in this conversation. <laughs> it was, it was a joke. Like, right. We, Put put this record on and fell up all the place laughing at how much we hated it. <laughs> um, That's brilliant, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's funny because I listened to that album today. And that's really not one of my favorite songs either off of that album or from their oh, catalog. I, and, I'm, I'm sure it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was my first time because i've seen them for a few years before and then this was oh that's what they sound like you know right right right. Uh, and you know it's funny i've only recently seen the video for it and yeah (laughs) it's equally hilarious um so that was the start of my kiss introduction and it did it really hasn't gone anywhere since then (laughs) <laughs> okay. I, I don't like them. Uh but I I do hear people talking about them a lot. Okay. You know, talking metal is always a constant kiss. Either yeah. every conversation led to kiss or Ozzy. Um no, it's I love the I, I'd quite like listening to the the lore mm-hmm. and who played what and who didn't play what and right, right, right. But musically, they just have never done anything for me. They've only ever played here one time. Oh wow! Um, you know that that's kind of they're just they're just not on the radar in in this country. Right, right. <laughs> uh, no. the, the one gig they did do it was big. It was a big show. It was like the biggest indoor venue. I think it was. I'm gonna say monster tour. Is that does that make is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, I believe it was good, but I didn't go. Yeah, but I mean, how much does that have to do with the fact that it's the first time they're playing there? You know, this is to me that's similar to the like South American argument where people say, "Oh, look, they always pack the house," but if a band is playing there once. In Ireland's case, once every 40 years, of course, you're going to get enough people to go because people are clamoring to see them. You're going to have enough people to fill the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't go. So I, I, I couldn't tell you how. Like that place might have been full of 10,000 people going crazy for all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would have been. Wild to see that here. Right. Um, but 
it could well have happened. Well, the other thing too, uh, Jeremy as well, you've been to download several times. They're headlining download this year. They've headlined download in the past. So yeah. even though they haven't, they've had kind of an uphill battle in the UK and in Ireland, they're still seen as enough of a draw to in 2022 have them headline one of the biggest hard rock and metal festivals in the world. Um, so sure. they, they, uh, they, they definitely have status. Yeah. Yeah. Denying that. yeah. yeah. They, they've become more, they become more popular as well. And we'll get to that a little bit when I maybe talk about the, the concerts live, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Anthony, it's probably just as well you didn't go see him because you probably would have got sucked into the whole thing. I, I yeah, no, I agree. Um, and it's a huge thing to get sucked into. <laughs> there you go. Or, or licked into. Yeah, yeah. I would say, like, the, the case lore is always, it's always fascinating. Yeah. Well, and and hey, I always say this. Um, we don't all like the same stuff, and sure. and I think I think it's cool to get opinions from different people from different places because obviously we all experience things in a different manner. And I think at the end of the day, you know, just being able to talk about music and not just talk about everything the same way because if we did that, it would all be vanilla and boring. But it's it's cool, you know, to hear. Hey, I got the lick it up, or my brother got the lick it up single, and it sucked. My brother, who I, I hope, I wish would have been able to join us tonight. Um, I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Steve, in a second. But he's, he's who turned me on to Kiss. But he bailed, go, he, he bailed in the uh, late 70s because he didn't like where the band was going. Like a lot of people that, you know, didn't like seeing kids at all the shows and didn't like you know, them going in a, you know, more in a, in a disco or a pop, you know, um, vein for, for two albums there. So he was gone. Um, so, you know, not everyone, not everyone that gets sucked in stays in forever. Not everyone is, you know, sucked in at all. So there you go. Um, Steve, mm -hmm. what was your introduction to KISS? It's a weird one because uh, it was actually in pre-K, probably in, I guess, 1979. Okay. Uh, one of the kids had a Kiss lunchbox. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I don't remember the first time I actually heard the music from them, but I, I distinctly remember seeing the lunchbox and thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well... At that time, they had the lunch boxes, they had the trading cards, they had the the Mego dolls, the the twelve uh, inch action figures. And if honestly, if the kid had bought in action figures, I probably would have like really been into it then. Right. You know, because then uh, a lunch box, it's you know, it's cool because it has lunch in it. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> aside from that, that's it. Yeah, but the weird thing. <laughs> Apparently, uh, school lunches were a lot different uh, for where you went to school than the kids that I went to school with. Why they brought in crap? <laughs> <laughs> well, at like four or five, you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich was like, yeah, look at that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, I I'm still like that now, but <laughs> I'm just saying back then. 
Well, and the interesting thing too, something that uh, we've been talking about all day, actually, in, in another group, uh, collectibles and prices and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Those original lunchboxes go for hundreds of dollars now. And I mean, it isn't exclusive yep. to Kiss. It's any anything mm-hmm. that is, you know, uh, a metal lunchbox. And if it has the, you know, the, the original um, thermos, um, damn it, I don't even remember what the hell it's called. The thing where you could pour your drink in. Um, yeah, the thermos. Ther- thermos. Yeah. Thermos. There you go. Jesus. Mm-hmm. See, that's the problem of... Uh, Having two languages in your head at the same time, you forget. (laughs) (laughs) A a flask in the U.S. is what you refer to either what a scientist has or one of these things where you hide in your jacket because you don't want people to know that you've got some uh, (laughs) four roses or Jack Daniels uh, hidden in your jacket pocket. So, (laughs) flask, yeah, see that? Um, I bet they do make a kiss flask. Okay. Oh, I, I wouldn't doubt it for a second. I'm sure. Um, so uh, anyway. I wouldn't be surprised if they had like a Bunsen burner, like flask <laughs> for kiss. If not, there's at least a prototype someplace. Yeah, there's gotta be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, my introduction to kiss was my brother, uh, similar to Jeremy was alive too. Uh, I was four years old, 1977, and my brother had gotten, I don't remember if he had gotten Alive 2 and Destroyer for Christmas or if it was separate, but all all I remember being was four years old, and there was a book that was called The Evolution of Kiss, showed them in all their different costumes, depending on which album and tour, and I remember seeing the big picture of Ace Freely with... um, the light shining behind his head, which made it look like he had like a halo and just being a Les Paul uh, for the first time and all that just kind of grabbed my attention. It was Saturday morning cartoons mixed with music. I'm like, wow, this is, um, uh, this is kind of hitting on a bunch of things that I enjoy. Oh yeah. And it isn't the shit that my parents listened to. So awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, for me, that was my uh, intro to KISS. Um, Johan, what do you consider your favorite KISS album? And what three tracks would you pick off of that album to sell it to someone else and say, these three songs will, these three songs will suck you in, Anthony, if you listen to them. <laughs> there you go, KISS Flask. All right, so there's this. Uh-huh. Oh, this is a hard question. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I I haven't yet figured out. Of course, my the best album might be Destroyer. Okay. Yeah, but and the songs on Destroyer are. Absolutely amazing. I must say that. But if I can say this, uh, the best two Kiss songs I know. Okay. I've had enough and thrills in the night. Both are from Animalize. Right. Uh, uh, in the 80s. Like, uh, and 
Anthony, you you love the eighties metal, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's my answer. I can't be more specific than that because okay, the, the album Destroyer, I love it. Uh, but those two songs and the solo in I've Had Enough is probably one of my top ten solos of all time. Uh, so. That's a really good uh, Animalize. It's a good album, but those two songs are very special to me. Uh, just good. What do you think, Victor, of those two? Yeah, well, Mark St. John, the only album that he appears on. He doesn't even appear on the full album because Bruce Kulick, mm-hmm. uh, as Anthony was mentioning with the Ghost Players, Bruce Kulick does play on two of the tracks. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of his intro where he's often told the story where they weren't completely sold on Mark St. John. He was kind of, uh, as, as Larry David would say, he was foisted onto them uh, because they wanted a invade type player. They wanted a shredder like that. And once he got into the studio, they realized that they didn't want that type of a player, but the label wanted, you know, them, them to kind of go with the trend. And, um, I mean, I like I like those albums. I, I don't think they get enough credit. Obviously, they weren't as popular as some of the '70s album, but there's there's some good material on there. Unfortunately, some of the some of those albums, the the biggest problem with them are the the the, the goofy lyrics with a lot of the stuff, you know. Uh, but it's also kind of the time, you know. It was what was going on, so. Yeah, but I don't know if Kiss ever had any really good lyrics. Perhaps they had. I don't know. But uh, wait, 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 wait a second here. You're gonna say put, I want to put my log in your fireplace? Isn't like one of the greatest rock lyrics ever? <laughs> well, or, or or as Anthony alluded to before, which was kind of an inside joke between me and a bunch of other podcasters for some time, was any time that John Astronomy would bring up Kiss. He would start to say, it's the law of the jungle. If you've got the hunger, then you've got the, I forget what the rest of it is, but that's the lyrics to, to be trade. So there's, yeah. I've, have, have they ever had a, you know, anything remotely poetic? No, of course not. You know, but maybe that's also part of the allure. I don't know. Um, with destroyer too. destroyer is, uh, you know, was was the first time that they had a ghost player in the band. It was Dick Wagner, who's more known for doing stuff with Alice Cooper. Bob Ezrin, who produced the album, brought him in because Ace wasn't showing up, and he said, "Look, we got to knock the we got to knock the solo out." And he came in and did it. Um, which just recently they uh, they released recently ten years ago recently um he uh he remastered the entire album and they released the version of the song sweet pain with aces solo which didn't make the album and yeah the dick wagner solo is miles ahead of what ace played seems like ace just came in and just kind of slid up and down the neck a little bit and that was it so um so yeah so Destroyer for a lot of people is 
their most important Kiss album. It's the biggest seller. It has Beth. Um, so, yeah, that's the original cover there. Yeah, but uh, just a quick input. Uh, Animalize was huge is an understatement for how popular uh, that album was here in Sweden. Right. See, that's so, that's the thing. They They weren't big in the UK or Ireland, but in Europe as a whole, they've always been big. They've always been big in Europe, Japan, and in, um, and in the U S they've gotten kicked out of Africa several times, um, and other parts of the world, but, uh, we won't get into why or, <laughs> or any of that. Not exactly PC. Uh, anyway, uh, Brad, your favorite Kiss album and, and what songs would you... Um, Anthony has said that he's making notes. So... Uh, all right. All right. Guy, Anthony, what a student. <laughs> I, I, res- I have so much respect for that. Seriously. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not busting your balls here. Um, I, this is always a tough one for me because, I mean, the first three albums to me are, are like, uh, you know... <laughs> That's it. In fact, they actually sold them after a while. They they sold it as a package with the first three albums, which I went out and rebought. Uh, I wish I still had that now because I I would give that to Jeremy so he could put it on his turntable, uh, which I don't have anymore. Um, I would, but and I could pick any one of those three albums, but I'm going to pick Dress to Kill. And here's why I'm going to pick Dress to Kill. I love the sound of it. Man, it's just like it's especially the drums. I love the tom sound on there. Uh the the drum break in Lover All I Can. I crank right. that up. I mean, I got okay, I got a PA system behind me here and I play down here. I stand right in the middle of this thing with my bass and I play Lover All I Can and I just imagine like Peter Chris right there on my drum set uh playing that playing those fills and it's like, "Oh guy, it sounds so good." I don't know and and from what I understand, the guy, whoever produced it, it was like somebody who didn't even know what the hell they were doing. Um, I think that was Eddie Kramer. <laughs> no, 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 are you sure? I don't know about that. Let's so. look at Dress to Kill. I thought at that point, you know, I've read so many doggone things that all kind of blends together. I didn't think Eddie Kramer came in until the live album. Um, but uh, but Dress to Kill, if he was involved, that makes sense then why I love it so much. I love the guitar sound, bass sound, the whole thing. Now, if we're going to pick a couple of songs for Anthony, uh, I think Room Service, I mean, for a Paul Stanley song, uh, the riff in there, the riff during the chorus, it is the funnest thing to play on the bass. And I just love playing that. And then I'm going to go love her all I can for those two songs. I mean, the funny thing is neither of those songs were kind of popular. I don't know they really played them much live. Uh, but those two songs right there are just unbelievable rock songs. I think you'll find that Anthrax has covered at least a lever all I can. Uh, yeah. You talk about some of the biggest, uh, you know, Kiss fans. But I could go down the whole list here. Uh, you know, Two Timer, that's a Gene song. It's not a great song, but it's fun. Uh, Ladies in Waiting, same thing. Uh, Getaway, which is a uh, Peter. Nah. Yeah, it's Peter's song. It's an Ace song. Yeah, it's an Ace song, oh. but Peter sings it because Ace didn't sing back then. Getaway is a great song. I don't know that they ever played that live. Rock Bottom, one of my all-time favorite Kiss songs. Uh, just uh, unbelievable riff. I think the studio version kind of bites a little bit because the guitar intro is too long. Jeremy could probably get with me on that because he's not for the big, long intros. 
Uh, Come On and Love Me is probably like my, my least, well, wait, anything for my baby is my least favorite song. Come On and Love Me was just kind of like a throwaway song for me, but they played the hell out of that live. She, one of my favorite songs to play live on the bass. My band, first band I was in, we played a lot of, well, we played She live. And that just, the bass part on that is so fantastic. And of course it has rock and roll all night, which is uh, kind of a shadow of what the live version is of, of that. But the hands down their, their most famous song, right? Anybody going to yes. argue that? Yeah. Uh, well, Beth has technically sold more singles than rock and roll all night, but yeah, but, but people, they don't play that last in the concert, do they? I no, mean, that's not what that, that's not the song everybody's sticking around for. I mean, they, there's probably, I mean, I'm, I, I'm okay. If I never hear Beth again, I'm okay. If I never heard it in the first place. Um, I think it's one of the stupidest songs ever written. I, I think it was really stupid when Bloister Colt did their kind of version of it. Uh, I can't even remember what the title of it is, but I would just drag the needle right across the song. So it would always skip when it, if it ever tried to play it again, it was that bad. Um, no, Beth, no, no, no. And no, I don't want to hear it. Okay. I actually, the, the, the unplugged version of it, I'm kind of okay with because it's, it's real. They're really playing it. Uh, but the whole thing about playing the backing tracks and, uh, Peter Chris standing out there and singing, it was just stupid. Okay. There you go. I said it. Yeah. So, so, so Anthony, Anthony, don't listen to Beth, whatever you do, don't listen to Beth. Yeah. Cross. Yeah. Say, do, do not listen to this song. Yeah. So, so what I like about dress to kill is the is is the layer there you go <laughs> is the layering if you really listen to the album there's a lot of like acoustic guitar going on in the background for to yep. fill in the rhythm tracks yep and i always thought that was cool and when you said like room service the bass part to that oh. to the chorus is like a total like carol king type thing where he's walking the bass you know on, yeah. on that <laughs> Gene Simmons' bass playing on those first three albums when he actually played on the albums, um, his, it's incredible. It, yeah, I learned so much from that. I learned about walking. I learned about you know how to go from one part to the other, not just following what the guitar player is doing, what, it, what it's, yeah. it's like in a lot of metal songs. Um, uh, yeah, I, I had no, and I had no idea what, he, what it was. I was, just, I was just learning the parts. And, and uh, th- that, to me, is a problem with the 80s Kiss is that you can tell Gene isn't playing. Cause the bass isn't like that at all. The bass is just kind of, I don't know. They, they lost what, what I thought was special about the music where it didn't right. sound like it. You can listen to it and go, Oh, that sounds just like so-and-so. Although now hearing Paul talk about the influences for each songs, I can hear it now. But at the time listening to those albums, I was like, nobody else is playing riffs like this. Nobody else. It's not like, ah, oh, they sold that from so-and-so, even though as we yeah. know, they did. Um, right. You, know, you, you didn't hear it though. I mean, they had their own unique take on it. It wasn't like Kiss. It, and again, I got into the music first before I actually saw the band. So I, all I saw was that picture on the cover. I was in. I was all in on the music. And mm-hmm. you know, the people that think they're just a joke band because of their image and the makeup and the fire and the blood and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was in for the music, and of course, I went all in on the other stuff too when I saw them live. But we'll get to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and real quickly, out of the standards that ended up on all the live albums, the only other songs they've ever played live off of this is Two Timer, which is on one of the, it's on the You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best, which was a yep. live yep. compilation. 
And they used to play Ladies in Waiting as well. Yes. I have heard live versions of those two songs, but yeah. I never heard them play them live. And, but and I've heard just, all, all the rest of them. And just a confession, I hate she and I hate rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such a... Dude, play it on the bass, man. You Stand there and play it on the bass. If you don't I've love it... I've seen so many my friends say the same thing, and I'm like, couldn't you have picked another fucking song out of 25 albums to play? No, I absolutely... No. It's so heavy. Yeah, all right. I was I was actually going to hook my bass up through my uh, my uh, mixer here and actually play songs as you guys suggested them, but of course in typical Brad fashion I was not prepared. Yeah. Plus I didn't want to. I, I don't know that anybody would flag us as having copyrighted music based on my bass playing, but um, I'm telling you, she. Oh my gosh, I was I was actually doing a sound check at a show. This is probably about eight years ago, mm. and it wasn't it wasn't Kiss involved or anything. And I started. They're like, okay, play your bass. So I started playing she and everybody started losing their mind. They're like, I love that song. I love that song. I mean, everybody was just losing their crap over that. And that was, you know, like eight years ago. And yeah. 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 yeah the Iceman right. I have behind me, the first time I tried it, I would played the guitar riff to God of Thunder on the bass. And the guy in the music store is like, oh my God. What are you playing? Is that yours? I'm like, uh, no, not exactly. But anyway, Anthony, yeah, are we making any, <laughs> Anthony, are we making any headway here? We're, we're, you're taking down plenty of notes. Well, I am, but you know, I've heard it all before. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I don't know. No, no, no. I will, you know, I will, I'll tr- you know, I'll give some of this stuff a go. I, I will say that I was surprised because uh, Brad mentioned Anthrax being big fans of theirs. When I talked to um, Charlie from Anthrax, we talked about the second album, um, Hotter Than Hell. And the big knock on that album is the production. But I think that that album inadvertently influenced a lot of bands that came after it because it has a very sludgy like stonery doom sound to it. So for it's a, a lot, it's a, it's a weird sounding album. And, and yeah. I, I, I like that about it as well. Uh, but if, yeah, son, sonically, it's just yeah. bizarre. And also it's out of tune. Well, if you listen to bands like Fu Manchu and stuff like that, where a lot of people say, Oh, it's a definite Sabbath influence. Sure. The mix is more towards Sabbath, but a lot of the riffs are closer to what kiss was doing with those first early albums so i think a lot of people may discard that and i've had that discussion with people telling me that you know that ace is playing his garbage and all this stuff i said well listen to some of those riffs on those first few albums and if you're a fan of stoner stuff or you know any of that stuff i i do think that it does translate but we'll yeah, see so anthony write down uh, off of hotter than hell uh the title track uh, you got to listen to that off of that album. Not not any other version, but the one off of that album. And listen to Got to Choose. Yeah. Got to Choose. Uh, Str- Strange Ways, which has been covered by Megadeth as well. Um, that is good, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, your mm. favorite Kiss album? 
Yeah, well, it um, took me a little while to get to it because uh, I'd listened to all 20 studio albums over the past couple of weeks and I changed my mind a few times, to be fair. Um, okay. I, I thought the debut album, Kiss, was going to be uh, up. Well, it, it was up there for most of the time and I was nearly going to choose that one. It has a lot of great songs on it. And, and if you think about it, probably six six of them have been in the live set uh, on a regular basis. So, you know, it, it tells you a lot. Right. Um, I also liked surprisingly the very late eighties stuff, the, uh, hot in the shade and revenge albums. I thought they were much better than I remember them. So that, that was interesting. I really liked monster, which was the very last album, maybe because it was the last one as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's 10 years old now and I really enjoyed that. Um, of the early 70s stuff, which I thought I was going to pick, um, I'm actually surprised by Destroyer that people actually pick it as one of the favorites because I think Destroyer has three songs on it that are fantastic. Uh, and I and bear in mind, I listened to it again today in the car. Um, I think a lot of it is terrible, really terrible, and I don't like it at all. That, that's my personal opinion. And yeah, I, you know, I, if, yeah, I if, think if, you're right, Jeremy. I think if you're you, right. you know, but there's a lot of people out there who rate it as the top album, and I've bought it. You know, I've got a, I've got a CD copy of it. I've played it a lot, um, and I still don't like it. Um, so it's not Destroyer, obviously, uh, and uh, it could have been Love Gun. It could have been um, possibly Unmasked. But the best album, and this is this is true because I've listened to them all, <laughs> is Rock and Roll Over. Rock and what? Roll Over is what? unbelievable. It's what? unbelievable. Let me tell you, the, there's one reason why that album is unbelievable, because it has probably more cowbell in it than other albums. And any, seven, any 70s album has to have cowbell, because the cowbell is the greatest rock and roll instrument that was ever invented. It's better than the guitar. It's better than the drum. It's better than anything. And I'll tell you what the three best songs are on it. Okay. Obviously, Calling Dr. Love. Mm -hmm. It's a, incredible. It's just one of those great live songs that, you know, they play. Ladies Room, which has got Cowbell in it. Yeah. Fantastic song. And then I would say possibly the, the very last song on the album, Making Love, which has a really good riff to it and is, is a really great album. Great song, but but the whole album you have to listen to it all the way through, and you have to turn it up because I don't know if you've noticed, but on every stereo it goes up to eleven. It doesn't go to ten, so you have to just turn it, tweak it up a little bit more, and it's perfect. It's a perfect album by a band that was in its prime, you know, in the mid seventies. Uh, did a lot of good albums at the time and a lot of good songs, and that's my favorite. Yeah, I would. Brad, as much as you think that that's blasphemy from your reaction, from, from your uh, chicken squawking there, um, for me, Rock and Roll Over is my second favorite Kiss album. I, I do have to say that um, I went back and listened to that album recently because when it first came out, I was like, what the hell is this crap? And it was mostly just the lyrics and that I thought were ridiculous, like beyond ridiculous. But I went back and listened to it a little while ago based on uh, something that a guy, Al Horta, a uh, New Jersey yeah. guy, yeah, he's a, he's a big kiss guy. And he was, he was telling me what, how great it was. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take up the challenge. And I 
put on my earbuds and I listened to the remastered version of it. And I was like, you know what? I really did enjoy that. I really did enjoy that. But in the moment uh, back when that album first came out, I, I had, I just couldn't, uh, I, and it was the lyrics for me. It was just the, the lyrics were so just ridiculous. Although I do have to say that um, um, the song Make and Love, which again, great lyrics, uh, I did play that live with a band back in the seventies and it was a blast to play. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was fun to play. That riff again, something that I think influenced thrash bands a few years later, because playing with the open E string, the way that it's played is, is very E flat dramatic of what bands started doing. Um, so yeah. And that was in, that was produced by Eddie Kramer. That one I know for sure. You are, you are, you are correct, sir. Yeah. See that? Um, Mr. Hoker. Mm -hmm. A favorite Kiss album. Like I said, I'm a a casual fan, so this is probably cheating, but it's the greatest hits album. It's uh, the Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Okay. It's the album that I like the most. Um, I would, I would say my favorite songs off of there are Strutter. Love Gun and Calling Dr. Love. There you go. So similar so to I think they're all I think they're all older Kiss songs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Strutter's off the first one. Um right. Calling Dr. Love is off of Rock and Roll Over, which is their fifth album. And the other one you said was Love Gun, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. Again, no. again, stupid lyrics on those, but I, I hey, I, I like just, to be called Dr. Love. Yeah, it's just better than dr poison right well it's a close second <laughs> depends on who's asking right that's true all the guys who want to call me dr love well you know yeah. <laughs> so uh for, for me that i don't but, think there's any surprise um or you were saying something steve go ahead i'm sorry uh i do have another favorite song but it's totally not on that album at all or okay go ahead i was unholy is one of my favorite songs okay Which great song revenge just celebrated the uh 30th anniversary this week and uh, in okay. true kiss fashion they announced that it would be uh reissued as a result <laughs> shocker yeah they take every every uh every chance to reissue and put out different colored vinyl so um, I was I was looking for I have a Japanese version and couldn't find it. So, anyway, uh, for me, no surprise. I've said this on the 1982 special. Uh, my favorite Kiss album is uh, Creatures of the Night. Um, the opening or the opening track, the title track, as Johan mentioned before. Uh, just the the lyrics to that and just some of the things that are said in that song have always stuck with me. Um, the album has always had an emotional connection with me. There was, you know, the first death of someone in my family. The album came out around that time. So, you know, one of those things where the emotions and something that happens in your life kind of go hand in hand and you remember certain things as a result. So for me, Creatures, um, uh, their heaviest album by far uh, probably came out two years too late a year too late because it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction to uh mob rules and number of the beast and 
you know, uh, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, you know, they decide to go back and get heavier and, and, and think that, you know, Hey, maybe we can compete with some of these bands again, but, uh, they had lost too much, too much steam by that point. And then the next option was, uh, well, since we can't compete with those, with Sabbath and, <laughs> or Dio or, or Maiden, uh, let's, uh, let, let's, Try to compete with Bon Jovi and Motley Crue and and all these, and let's do Lick It Up. So, <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, moving on here, um, I think Asylum is great as well. I I think I think the run, in my opinion, the run between Creatures and Asylum, those four albums are underrated. They've got some wacky lyrics and stuff like that on them, but they're better than what a lot of people remember. Crazy Nights? Now, that's an album that I can't get behind. But uh, but but those? Yeah, I agree. Um, Johan, um, you're, have you seen them live? And if so, what was your favorite show that you've seen with them? Mm-hmm. I have seen them... Three or four times live, uh, but it's it's in late in their career. So, yeah. But the first time I saw them were in Gothenburg, uh, nineteen ninety six on the reunion tour, right? Uh, and that was a absolutely amazing concert. That was ten out of ten concert. It was. Uh, Sold out, of course, since month, uh, and we had to buy a really expensive, uh, you know, this bus ticket uh, to to get there to get the seat. Uh, it cost me a lot of money, but it was absolutely worth it. So that was uh, my first and only, no, not only, uh, but the, my first time that I saw this, and they were. So great, uh, really, really good. And after that, I saw them at Sweden Rock twice. Yes, twice, I think. Uh, and that was when uh, Paul's voice were, uh, yeah, you know, he was getting older. So, yeah, so that was the show was fantastic, but. That was something else to see them uh, in the, I don't know when, a couple of years ago. But that time, back in 1996, I think that was the original band. I I know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, that was a a really, really great night uh, for me and uh, for everyone else who was there. Um, and I bought it on a bootleg VHS, I remember, as well. So, uh, yeah, perhaps a lot of you guys saw them on that tour as well. So, Kiss on that night, 10 out of 10. Absolutely. Excellent. Uh, Brad, I'm sure that you've seen them in a broom closet in Rosita somewhere. Um, but uh, 
your, your favorite time seeing the band? Uh, I can't remember the last time I was in Reseda, but I know it was a good time. <laughs> Maybe that was North Hollywood. I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, the first time I saw him was probably the best time just because it was unbelievable. 1975, uh, San Diego Sports Arena, because they had sold out in uh, Los Angeles before I could get tickets. Uh, I was 15, couldn't drive. Luckily, CEO Dave and his buddies were willing to uh, drive me down there. Of course, I bought the tickets. Um, but, <laughs> that's a, the, but hey, I, you know, it was worth it. Unbelievable. I think I probably paid like eight bucks a ticket. We're sitting in the, the back of the arena in the loge section, uh, which is like, you know, okay, you got the floor and then you got the first kind of ring of the arena. That's what they called the loge back then. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we're looking straight, straight on, straight onto the stage there. Montrose was the warm up band. I didn't, other than the first album, I didn't know much. They were on their Warner Brothers Presents tour. No Sammy Hagar. Uh, and I, they, they were good, but I didn't care because, you know, I was there to see Kiss, like, uh, uh, pretty much everybody else there, except for Ronnie's, uh, third wife. I think she was there. Um, so yeah, the lights go down. And the crowd just gets so loud. And when they hit the stage playing Deuce, okay, this is the, the Alive One tour. Okay, it's before they came out with uh, Destroyer. So lights go down. The crowd just gets loud. The band hits the stage. Boom. Flames go up. And we're in the back of the arena. This is a big arena. And you can feel it. You can feel the heat from the flames all the way back there. And the band's playing, and I could tell they were playing Deuce, but I couldn't hear them because the crowd was so loud. It was the most unbelievable thing I've ever experienced. It was so freaking loud in there. And and the band, if you look at, if you got Kissology, you get the first, uh, the ver- volume one, and you see how, you know, aggressive and how energetic the band was back then. That's the way they were. These guys are on seven foot, seven inch platform heels. Uh, you know, the whole thing, running around, jumping, going nuts. And I like, how do, how are they doing this? And yet nailing it too. And this is before anybody ever thought of using backing tracks. Uh, they were playing everything. Their harmonies were just on point. Uh, everybody's singing. Well, Ace, maybe just a little bit. Uh, but, and they played everything. They played the live album. I think they skipped Come On and Love Me, which I was okay with that. And they threw in, we're, we're going to play a new one for you tonight. And they played, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Victor should be doing Paul Stanley. Listen. Uh, yeah, they played, shout, they played Shout It Out Loud, which we kind of looked at each other. And of course, that's, that's kind of not the best way to hear a song for the first time. We kind of looked at each other going, what the hell is this crap? Um, but it was still, it was, it was kind of cool to hear a song off the, the new album they were working on. And, but it was, the band was so good. Ace was, I mean, this is before Peter kind of became a liability. He could still play. He was playing his ass off. Ace was just on it. I saw him in 96 on the reunion tour. It was the show after they did the MTV thing or it was VH1 or whatever it was where they're playing under the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. And Peter uh, Chris. Yeah, Peter Chris could barely play. It was oh, it was so tough to watch. He was back there just barely hitting his drums. I I I, I don't know if they're pumping oxygen into him between songs. And Ace was okay, but he wasn't great. 
Mm-hmm. Gene and Gene and Paul were Gene and Paul. They were uh, they were as pro as ever. But for me, it was kind of tough to watch. You know, having seen them back in the day. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, but I realized you hadn't seen him back in the day. That was still great. And I wish Shelly, again, Shelly, it was the first time she saw him was on that tour. And she thought it was fantastic. She thought it was 10 out of 10, like Johan. And I get it, because you didn't have anything else to compare it to. And uh, that that's how good they are, that even when they're not great, they're still 10 out of 10. Yeah, so. I think the, the big mistake people make with Peter specifically is he needs to come back to the band. I'm like, he couldn't do it. No. Mm-mm. In 79, he was, he had fucked himself up so much that that monster he was five years previous to that, you know, up until the mid 70s. I mean, he was ridiculous with his playing. And then after that, it just went. One of my biggest heartbreaking experiences was seeing them on that uh, 2000 farewell tour, 2001. I forget what year it was, but terrible. I mean, he, all the songs were slow. He was yep. barely hitting the, the the drums. It was horrible. Yeah. But. Yeah, I think he was using mostly triggers, too, because he couldn't hit them hard enough to really make them sound like anything. But that's... Um, the, the, but, the, but anyway. Yeah. The, the bottom line is get that Kissology, the volume one, watch all that stuff, and you can see what a great live band oh, they yeah. were. And they, Just, they, all, they all could play. So well, I mean, back in the day, Peter Chris was the, one of the greatest drummers uh, in rock at that point in their mid seventies. For a small period of time, and based on how many people they influenced, um, I wouldn't say that he was important as Ringo or, or, or Keith Moon or John Bonham or or Bill Ward even, but a second tier drummer beneath those huge names, absolutely. Because he was doing like swing playing and adding different jazz things that no one was was doing that maybe Neil Peart took and took it to another level. But that's because he also let himself go to shit. So, yeah, well, all I can say is sit down on a drum set and try to play along with those first three albums. Oh, it's not straightforward. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, uh, he's doing some weird ass stuff. If you grow up listening to his playing and stuff, it's not too bad. So oh, come on, it's it's I, still it's it's not like okay. I'll t- you're I'll you're take, a drummer. I'll take playing like Peter Chris over playing like Marky Ramone. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's much harder. It's much harder to play like Marky than it is to play like um uh like Peter Chris because a lot of people think oh it's just simple three chords straight ahead. Uh, Tommy and Marky Ramone play 64th notes continuously on the hi-hat. That's yeah, very there. difficult to do. Okay. To play it properly. You can play whole notes. You can play on the, you can play, you know, every beat. You can do one, two, three, four. Sure, anyone can do that. But play 64th notes continuously for three minutes. It's not, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Not, I get, I get that, but that's kind of a one-trick pony, too. It's easy Peter, to say Peter, Chris. Peter Chris, you couldn't you couldn't put his style into just doing one thing. I mean, he did a lot of things. I mean, he was, uh, yeah. All right, we'll we'll yeah. we'll agree we'll agree to disagree on that one. Yeah, I'm talking style more than uh, just you know. But that's right, that's 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 like saying that Paul's Paul's bass playing 
is as good as Gene's bass playing on the early albums. Two different styles, two different disciplines. True. So. Anthony, how are the notes coming along? Well, I have them. <laughs> Will I go back to them? I don't know. <laughs> hey, who knows? It could start a good barbecue this summer, or if you have a chimney at home, you know, <laughs> things you need to uh, to get that uh, log going. <laughs> it's the only Kiss song that I have in my collection is... Um, on the Days to Confuse soundtrack. <laughs> and it's rock and roll all night. There you go. W- one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, there you go. It, it. It's not death, huh? No. <laughs> but no, we, you're talking about seeing them live. I've never seen them live. Yeah, yeah. So You made that cool before. <laughs> <clears throat> cool. Uh, Jeremy, uh, you want to talk about the shows? Yeah, I've seen them three times. Um, the first time I saw them was in 2010 at the Echo Arena in Liverpool. Okay. Uh, that was a strange show because it was very empty. I was surprised that it hadn't sold out. Um, it was probably less than half full. And even the band made a uh, – well, Paul Stanley mentioned that. He said um, along the lines of, you, you may not be the biggest crowd, but you can sure be the loudest – uh, as he was trying to get us to sing along to something. So um, they really noticed it. And I think it was something to do with the promoters and, and the fact that it was in Liverpool and, and not Manchester and it was on a you know midweek night or whatever. Um, but they still put on a great show. And that's the thing about Kiss. They didn't let it affect them. They, they did the same show that you're going to see every time, you know, um, didn't cut it short. Um, all the pyro was there, all the, you know, all the special effects. It was great. Anyway, then I, uh, I saw them at Download Festival. Um, again, they were really good there. And then I saw them uh, finally in 2019 in July at the Manchester Arena uh, on the, you know, the end tour um, where I got this T-shirt. Um, and they played hit after hit. I mean, I was just looking through the set list, actually, just to remind myself. 23 track, 23 songs, um, all hits all the way through. And it's surprising, really, when you when you hear Kiss and you, you realize there's a lot of songs from the old days that um, that don't always come, you know, you don't always think about them all the time, but when they play them live, they just come across really well live. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just such a great live band because, um, you know, you can sing along to all those choruses because – a lot of the stuff is a bit repetitive. And so those repetitive sort of choruses really come across in a live setting. And that's what right. you want to do. And, and, and you know, um, Gene has always said, you know, um, it's not just about the songs themselves. It's about theatre. It's about putting on a show. And, you know, you want people to go home at the end of the, de- end of the night with a smile on their face. And, and we certainly did. Um. Gina's always one for words. <laughs> he loves to say things. Yeah. <laughs> if, of course, it will not load on time. He loves the sound of his voice and sometimes he gets carried away. See that? He loves the sound of his own voice and sometimes he gets carried away. So, I'm uh, surprised. I'm surprised. Uh, I don't think he had it on sale at the time, but if he'd have had the vault on sale, he would have just dragged it on stage at the end of the concert, just advertised it because that's Gene for you. He would have wanted you to see it. 
that would have never happened because Gene and Paul are very different when it comes to a lot of these sorts of things. Okay. Paul wanted nothing to do with Gene's vault. Gene's vault was ended up being like a litmus test to see if um, they could bring Ace back to do stuff, if they could do stuff with Vinny, if they could do stuff with Peter, because they had all been parts of all this. Bruce as well. Um, I know of well uh, when they had Vinny in Nashville. I was speaking to uh, Chris Sinza because he was there. And he told me right away, Gene lasted like two minutes with him and said, okay, we're done. <laughs> so they they moved on. He realized that he was still the, the same nutty person that they'd kicked out of the band. I don't know how many years previous to that. And then uh, Ace and Peter wanted money. So that's why that didn't move forward from there. But anyway, <laughs> um, Steve, have you seen them live? I have not. You have not. But you nope. got to see Ace live and hated it. That's true. So almost. <laughs> where, where did you yeah, where did you see Ace? Tell us the story. Uh New York Steel. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. You did tell us the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I remember now. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> see that? <laughs> your your meatloaf all of a sudden. It's all coming back to you. Um <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. So, it's uh they're a band that I would go see, but um not uh not in a rush necessarily. And for the price of the tickets, I don't feel like I'm a big enough fan to spend that kind of money on the that tickets. But if if somebody was like, Hey, I have this ticket, you wanna go with me, you know, no strings or you don't even have to pay for it, I'd be like, Okay, cool, I'll go see Guess. Because yeah. I'm sure it's an awesome show. Yeah, I I mentioned my brother before. That's how he got sucked into seeing them like five years ago. Um, Somebody offered him a ticket for like five bucks. And he was like, all right, five bucks, I'll go see him. Sure. And and I can't remember what Art said about that. Did he enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, he enjoyed it. He just thought that he just said that he could do without all of the uh, Paul banter in between songs. Yeah, I agree with that. Which, by the way, I don't remember Gene ever really talking much during a concert. He never does. Okay, the yeah, that's what I thought, even though he likes the sound of his own voice. Yeah. The, the only time that he's ever um, spoken between songs is because there was an incident where Paul, I forget if he had an allergic reaction and couldn't sing, or I forget what the... No, it's when he it's when he had the tachycardia problem when his heart just took off and he had to go to the hospital and they did the show they did the show as a three piece. Right. And Gene yeah, sung yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. He's, yeah, he sung it. Yeah. 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 So um I've seen them twice. I got to see that terrible uh farewell tour show. And then I got to see them. I'm seeing online that it was 2008 at a festival. Uh, that day had. Um, uh, so we got to see Tiger Tales, Death Angel, Obituary, uh, Brujeria, um, Arch Enemy, Tesla, MSG with Chris Slade's pitiful performance. 
Saxon, Blind Guardian, Europe, Dio, and Kiss. And I will say that we never got to see, we saw Europe and Blind Guardian on the screen because we we waited to see Dio and Kiss who were at a different stage and ensure that we would be a good spot to see them. But uh, Kiss was was great that night. Um, it was with Eric and it was with Tommy, but it was, you know, the, the usual show with all the regalia. Um, they were celebrating the 35th anniversary of Alive, so they played Alive in its entirety. And they added a few songs here and there that weren't from that. But for the most part, it was that solid block. And uh, my wife to this day will still argue that Dio was better than Kiss. But uh, um, anyway, we had fun at that show. And uh, to me, that was the the best show that I've seen with them. Uh, I wish I would have been able to see them more and I had offers to see them at other times, but just couldn't for one reason or another. But uh, anyway, um, they are for me, I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum from Anthony. They were, they were them and maiden are my one a and one B. Uh, there are times where I would tell you that maiden is my favorite band. There's other times that I would tell you that kiss are, I've listened to them. Uh, I wouldn't say equally because I've listened to Kiss more than anyone, but Maiden has kind of captivated me in the same way. Um, so for me, it's a thrill to to talk about Kiss. And um, uh, Jeremy, real quickly, you brought up in the uh, in the private chat here, Carnival of Souls. I know a lot of people don't like Carnival of Souls because they tried to go after the uh, the grunge for mm. a bit there. Uh, on that album, they sound more like uh, Sabbath and uh, Alice in Chains and stuff like that than they obviously sound like Kiss on that album. But I, I personally think that that has a lot of good stuff on it. Um, the Elder, which you mentioned, that was them working with Lou Reed and a and a coked up uh, Bob Ezrin, and um, and yeah, there's some things that work and a lot that just doesn't. It was them trying to pander to the you know, Max's Kansas City crowd and to the Prague crowd, and it just didn't work. You know, they they wanted Bob Ezrin to produce the Kiss version of The Wall, and it just didn't happen. So, um, and yeah, they've been hit and miss with albums and songs and different things, but I think that's kind of the, uh, at least for me, kind of what I appreciate about them, but. Anyway, um, any uh, parting words here, Johan? Anything before from you before we wrap this up? No, uh, no, yes. Uh, I like, uh, as I mentioned in chat, the 80s versions of Kiss. Uh, uh, and that's probably because I was, you know, around 14, 15. Uh, in the 80s so that's why that period is my favorite so uh, and I love to hear all of you guys uh, saying your favorite but uh, I, a lot of my friends uh, are huge Kiss fans like you Victor they are 
kiss is their religion. And I have, for me, that's hard. But uh, kiss is a good band. They're not the best, but absolutely top 15, perhaps. Top 15, yeah. All right, we'll take it. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Brad, any uh, parting words? You wanted the best. Um, yeah, I, all I can say is about, about Kiss, and uh, you've probably run into this too, Victor, with the interviews you've done. When you when you start talking to musicians about what got them into music, if it's anybody my age or slightly older than Johan, <laughs> or in between there, or maybe Johan's age and and in, you know in between, almost everybody cites Kiss as the band that got them into wanting to play music. Whereas you go older than me, it's all the Beatles. And I was like, ah, oh, that's what I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. That's what that's what made me want to play guitar. Uh, for my age and ten years down, it's like when I saw Kiss, when I heard Kiss, that's what made me want to play music. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think I don't think you can deny the power of what they've done as far as influencing uh, music that's still going on even now. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, you can't take that away from them. You say what you want about them. And uh, Anthony, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you can't deny the power of Kiss and what they've done. Uh, find, yeah, find a musician who's like actually a decent musician other than Ingve and uh, get, get ask them what they think about Kiss and uh, they'll talk to you for a long time. Well, I don't, like I said, I don't know in, in the UK or in Ireland if you'll find that. That's difficult. <laughs> there are, I mean, it's there, but oh, I, I have a, a friend who, you know, he's a great guitar player. He plays plays a lot of punk bands over his time, and he adores Kiss. See, there, there you go. go. Yeah, talk to the Edge, man. He'll tell you. I, I can't do an Irish accent right now, but uh, yeah, he'll he'll tell you. Kiss, brilliant. <laughs> so that that's uh, that's my parting shot. Power of Kiss. There you go. Okay. Um, Now that we've uh, flip-flop order here, Steve, um, any parting words? Uh, A recommendation. If anybody hasn't seen the movie Role Models, I would highly recommend it. It has a very uh, Kiss influence to it that uh, I would highly recommend. I think everybody would enjoy it. And even without the Kiss thing, it's a very amusing movie. Yeah, I was I was going to show that movie to my kids because of the kiss aspect. And a little three, three minutes into it, I'm like, yeah, nope, not more. yeah, yeah. It's not really a kids movie, but the adults will like it. Yeah, yeah, not, not and, like uh, Big Lebowski, which is a great kids movie. It's not even a good movie. Oh, that's my hot oh. take. Wait! Oh, wow! Wow! Okay, Steve, Steve, I love you, but we're we're gonna we're gonna have to agree to fight on this one. Oh, <laughs> well, you can win, but uh, I just—it's not for me. But that's cool. I, I know, I know, I'm in the minority on that one. But and also as a a parting thing, I just want to mention two friends that have passed away. Um, that were massive Kiss fans. So anytime I see Kiss. Makes me think of them, and uh, so Blade and Brian, I love you guys. 
Awesome. Well, I don't know Blade or Brian, but um, hope you're rocking out to kiss somewhere. And uh, no, no doubt. <laughs> um, we would all wish that you were here and enjoying this conversation with us. So. <clears throat> Um, Anthony, any, uh, parting words? Uh, no, not really. I'm just, I have me, uh, Apple music open here and I'm just scrolling through Kiss's discography. Okay. Why is there two different covers to Destroyer? Uh, because one is the original. The second one is the Bob Ezrin, uh, resurrected version, which he went back and remastered the whole thing from the original tapes like about 10 years and, ago. and he also remixed it too there's there's two albums in that so there's yeah. a remastered one and a remixed one which there's yeah. there's um the 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 fan base is divided uh because well, a lot I, of I, I knew that was a can of worms <laughs> yeah. I, I, i'm in the minority i like the the updated remastered sound because all of the instruments are more present. You can hear everything much clearer. He, I mean, he took the original analog tapes using today's technology to mix it. And it still sounds like a seventies album, but it sounds louder uh, without being brick walled. So, I mean, I think it sounds cool, but I don't yeah, like I, they released last year, last uh, year. I mean, they're getting people to pay fifty dollars for for the original fucking mix with a bad bootleg. I mean, that's stupid. So, um, and hey, also, I want to say I want to say something about Anthony really quick. What's that, dude? dude I I have so much respect for you coming on here, being not a big Kiss fan, and talking with us about Kiss. I I and yeah. not and not talking shite about them either. I I I mean that that's that shows what a great it shows what a great music fan you are. So I respect that. Well, I, uh, as I say, I've listened to people talk about Kiss for a long time. I've listened to people talk about Kiss much, much more than I've actually listened to Kiss. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, no, actually, there was one day I, I played one live album and I got about halfway through and I was like, no, thank you. Which one? Oh, I think it was one, the big one everyone always talks about, Alive 2 or something. No, no, no. You got to go Alive (laughs) 1. Maybe it was that. (laughs) Anyway. Anthony, we got to hang out, man. (laughs) Sure. I like the cover to Hard in Hell. I think that's cool. Yeah, that's a little uh, risque for, and I didn't realize it at the time when I was 15 and somebody handed me that one. And I started looking kind of deeper in some of those pictures on there and the back of it. I'm like, what the, what, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. How did, the, how did this get, how did this get uh, in the racks there at the Wallach's Music World? De- definitely influenced the Motley Crew a few years later with a lot of the early, like, pictures with the topless babes and stuff like that. It's a lot of like imagery was lifted. Yeah. From that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, I don't want to open up another can of worms as Anthony just said, but there's like a lot of other stuff with, the, with that back album cover. I think Ace had just had like one of his many car accidents. 
So he almost couldn't get his makeup on and he might not even have the makeup on. I think they like painted it on after there's like some shit like that. I mean, I'm a big fan, but you know, becoming a podcaster, I've noticed that I'm really not that big of a fan because there are people that will come out of the woodworks and tell you what fucking zippers and buttons they have on their costumes. So (laughs) again, the power of kiss right there. There you go. Jeremy, any uh, parting words from you regarding KISS? Yeah, just a couple of quick things. Uh, One is that you get to the end of a band's career and you realize you sort of look back on what they've done and you realize how much they've contributed to rock and roll. And, you know, KISS were, I've sort of realized now how much they were influenced by sort of glam rock and 60s and soul and there's a lot of swing in there and you know it's it's there's a lot of complex things going on which i wasn't sort of aware of and i sort of appreciate their um you know their history a lot more now looking back on it so that's one thing i'd say and the second thing is that um having listened to all 20 studio albums over the past few weeks i've actually realized what their greatest song is and I'm about to reveal that now. And it's on Love Gun. And the greatest song that they ever made is called I Stole Your Love. Okay. And it's absolutely amazing because it never goes, it never leaves my head. <laughs> that is well, a good song, Jeremy. That is a, that's, that's a great that's song. That's probably my favorite song off of Love Gun. Out of the so, out of the albums that were recorded by the original band, out of that original 70s run, that's probably my least favorite album, Love Gun. Hmm. But I Stole Your Love is is a great, great song, song that was covered by Halloween years later, actually. Uh, yeah, and I just wish that they'd put in some of those songs into their live set. I mean, we hear the same songs in the, live, in the live set all the time. I mean, I'd love to see Room Service in there, and I'd love to hear anything for my baby off Dress to Kill as well. You oh, yeah. know, some of, those, some of those songs should be in the live set because – we, you know, it'd be a different live live thing, really, if we if we had those being played. Yeah, c- convince Paul to play more than the twelve songs that they've been playing live for the last thirty years now. Mm. You know, because Gene has done it. Gene's gone out with his solo band, which is Ace's solo band now as well, and they start pulling shit out that was never played live originally. You know. So it's that's all a, a Paul thing. I think once uh, once they're done doing their shows, I don't know if we're going to see much of Paul at all because I think he's going to be cooking at home and, and doing a little else. So, yeah, well, well, I don't know. They they all sold their uh, publishing off. So. I don't know how much how that works if they get anything after the fact, but um, yeah, you you mentioned you know importance. A lot of people don't realize that there are a lot of aspects that they kind of pioneered in the live setting. Um, definitely, obviously, the pyro and stuff with risers and stuff like that. But they were the first band to have a traveling PA system. And I've had arguments with people in the past that have said, no, the Grateful Dead or the Stones or whatever. Look back at some of that 
early stuff around like 74-ish, 75, when they started headlining. Uh, they weren't going out with like two and three mics at the same time. They, you know, they had done work with that. Um, one of the first bands to have their own traveling uh, lighting truss as well. There's there's a bunch of different things that they've done over the years that other bands have come over or used after because they've they've incorporated. Have they been the most original band in other aspects? No, of course not. But anyway. I want to thank everyone that's here. Brad, Steve, Jeremy, Anthony, uh, Johan, who was with us before. Um, thank anyone who's listening or watching this after the fact, after recording this live tonight. I hope you guys enjoy this. Um, I'm sure that there's some KISS fan out there listening to any of the comments or, or stuff and saying that we're wrong with most of this stuff or or waving their fist in the air, complaining about how, you know, um, Crazy Nights is the best album, but, uh, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, thank all of you guys. Again, thanks anyone who's checking this out. And um, on that note, we are going to wrap things up here with this KISS special. If you want to be part of the next discussion next month, which we'll be talking about 1983 for as little as two bucks a month. You can do this. Join us. Let us know what you think. It's a lot of fun and we don't bite. So <laughs> there you go. $2. Yeah. $2. You don't have to potty train us or anything. Just come on in troll free environment. We love talking about music and that is it. So on that note, we will leave you folks. See you next time right here on the Signal from Mars live stream. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 